Judy was boring. Hello. Then Judy discovered Chumbacasino.com. It's my little escape. Now Judy's the life of the party. Oh, baby, mama's bringing home the bacon. Whoa, take it easy, Judy. The Chumba life is for everybody. So go to ChumbaCasino.com and play over 100 casino-style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. Voidware prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Episode 534 of the Professional Book Nerds Podcast, presented by Overdrive. Just Adam for this one, and I am delighted uh, about the conversation you're going to hear in just a minute or two uh, with Gabriela Garcia, who is the author of of Women and Salt. Uh, This book is stunning in its breadth and beauty and prose. I was just gasping at every single uh, paragraph, every single uh, chapter. You know, each chapter has kind of like a different um, person and a different perspective telling the story. And obviously we get um, all into what the book is all about, uh, you know, right at the, the, the jump of our conversation. But, I mean, it's a Roxanne Gay book club pick. It's a BuzzFeed book club pick. Um, it's one of the most anticipated books of the year, according to the New York Times, Entertainment Weekly, L, Oprah, Harper's Bazaar, Washington Post, Goodreads, Bustle. It's just all over the place. And when you start reading it, you'll absolutely know why, because it just will leave you awestruck. I enjoyed this book so, so much, and I enjoyed talking to Gabriella just as much. Uh, we talked about how um, she has kind of a, a good friendship now with Roxanne Gay because she actually had Roxanne as a teacher in her MFA program. Uh, we talked a little bit about diaspora and her feelings as uh, a Cuban-American uh, woman who has kind of gone back and forth between Cuba and America a number of times and has family in both places. And just, I don't know, it was a really lovely conversation about, um, you know, sometimes feeling a little bit other. Uh, so I, I think you guys are really going to love this. Um, but again, the book is just, oof, wow, oof my goof. What a, what a fantastic book. I think you're just going to adore it. If you want to get a hold of us, if you have any feedback, if you want book recommendations, if you want recommendations for our Professional Book Nerds Reading Challenge, you can always email us at professionalbooknerds at overdrive.com, or you can find us on Twitter and Instagram at probooknerds. Uh, if you want to go back to any of our old episodes, you can always go to professionalbooknerds.com. We have a search bar there that you can search for authors or genres or books, and you'll uh, find all the episodes that reference those. So um, all sorts of fun stuff you can do. Um, also, if you haven't yet, uh, if you want to leave us a quick five-star review wherever you do listen to podcasts, it helps people find us just a little bit more easily um, and makes our day. And then also, if you want to show some some love to the podcast, you can, of course, always Go to shop.overdrive.com and get yourself a Professional Book Nerds t-shirt. Uh, summer is going to be here at some point, so you can, you know, rock that up. Show, show your nerdy love. Okay, not going to keep you any longer. I hope you guys enjoy this conversation with Gabriela Garcia on the Professional Book Nerds podcast. All right, um, well, yeah, we kind of, like I said, we always just sort of start our conversations by having our authors introduce their book because I 
hate giving away too much of the plot. So would you like to introduce our readers to, or our listeners rather, to Of Women in Salt? Sure. So Of Women in Salt is a multi-generational novel um, that follows five generations of a family as in from Cuba to Miami um, and also intersects with the with the life of another family a mother and a daughter from El Salvador and that part takes place in Miami and also in a detention center in Texas um, and their lives kind of come together in unexpected ways. Mm-hmm. So I have a bunch of questions about a whole myriad of things from the plot I, I I love every bit of it I love the different voices of the different characters and the different locations and times and that it's you know kind of non-linear but the first thing I sort of want to ask is what made you want to write this book because people may recognize your name you do you've done poetry in the past and while you know writing is writing quote unquote there is a world of difference between writing poetry and writing you know fiction so what made you want to write a, a long-form novel you know and as opposed to doing poetry which you've done before yeah, I mean, I think I've I've always written in various different modes. Um, so I write poetry. I've also published short stories, and then um, worked on this novel. So I've sort of simultaneously um, been doing all of that. Um, and yeah, in terms of what made me want to write the novel, I think you know, I think I had all of these different ideas, all of these different threads, all of these directions that I could go in, you know, Mm -hmm. Um, I was really interested in writing about Cuba and I was going back and forth to Cuba a lot. Um, I was, I was also working as a migrant rights organizer Mm -hmm. um, for years before I pursued my MFA. And so I was also, you know, thinking a lot about detention and deportation during the Obama administration. And, you know, I I was just, I just had so many different threads that I was interested in. And and I I wanted to figure out a way that I could sort of write about all of these things that I was thinking about. Um, And so I just kind of started out from that place. And, you know, I wasn't sure if it was gonna work. Um, I Mm -hmm. sort of had this vision in my mind, but I had no idea if it was, you know, gonna work at all. Um, But I decided to just, just try to make it happen. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Was there a point when you were writing, you know, maybe draft zero, for example, that you were like, okay, there is something here. Cause I feel like this very much could have been a series of interconnected short stories. Like you mentioned, like there are, you know, someone could take, I wouldn't recommend, I wouldn't recommend they do this because I recommend they read the whole book because it's beautiful and wonderful and it neat. And I think it should be entirely enjoyed, but like you could in theory, take one of these chapters and, and read it and at least get a snapshot of a, of a, of a story that would leave an impact on you. But like, was there a point that you realized like, okay, this is how I can tie all of these different threads together? Yeah. So yeah, there were points where I thought, you know, maybe, maybe this is like a novel in stories, you mm-hmm. know? Um, and then I started incorporating pieces that don't really work as standalone story. <laughs> so it's kind of just, morphed into it to its own thing mm-hmm. um but I think I'm always thinking about like storytelling modes you know and we sort of hold up the kind of western storytelling tradition you know the the rising action and the conflict and the mm-hmm. falling action um and I 
I knew I wanted to write in a different mode. You know, I knew mm-hmm. I wanted to tell this story in a different manner and I kind of wanted it to feel sort of fractured the way a lot of memories or stories that are mm. passed on feel fractured um, and have these spaces of unknowing. So I think I was, I was thinking about all of that while I was, while I was writing this. Um, and yeah, I, I avoided thinking about it as, yeah. as one specific thing, being like, these are stories or this, you know, I kind of mm. just let it become whatever it became. <laughs> okay, so, so along those lines, then did you, from a craft standpoint, did you write this linearly? Because it's not a linear, it's not truly like a linear story, but there are, like you said, there are absolutely threads that tie everything together. It's like, did you kind of start from the beginning and work your way through or how did that happen for you? Yeah, I sort of, um, kind of both, you know, there were some pieces that I started writing and then ended up like fitting them in. And then a lot of it though, I did write linearly. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think, I think it's, I think I was just thinking about like what information needs to be filled in or like Mm -hmm. which character feels like the next voice we should hear from. And so it just felt easier to do that kind Mm -hmm. of in order, you know? Um, So there were like a few pieces that I kind of went back in and stuck in different places. But for the most part, um, yeah, I sort of wrote it in order. Mm-hmm. Were there characters that you found maybe more challenging to write about? Because I mean, each each character has a very defined voice and they all go through different, um, you know, struggles, whether it's family relationships or spousal abuse or addiction or, you know, I, were there aspects that you found more challenging as a writer, maybe if they were you know, kind of personal or maybe because they weren't close to your story? Yeah, I think um, maybe this is like a cop-out answer, but I kind of feel like they were, they were all sort of difficult in their own way to inhabit Mm -hmm. because, you know, I was really interested in writing sort of multidimensional flawed characters. Mm -hmm. Um, So, you know, almost all of them sometimes um, act in ways that that I wouldn't or do things that I wouldn't do or, you know, um, and I think that's, that can be the hardest piece Mm -hmm. is just like, um, you know, divorcing my sort of authorial voice, Mm -hmm. you know, and, and being true to like what this actual character is thinking or how they're seeing the world. And the writing was difficult, you know, when it went into like sort of dark, painful places. But I remember like, even when I was working on this novel, it's like my MFA thesis, like there were, there were things that I would sort of skirt around Mm -hmm. writing because it felt difficult um, or painful. And I had really great teachers who sort of were like, I think this, I think you need to sort of go into, into this thing. And Mm -hmm. so that was always challenging, but I think they were right. You know, I think oftentimes when I'm writing around something because it feels challenging or yeah. painful or difficult. Like it's actually the thing that I need to write, you know? Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, I think ultimately they were, they were right. Yeah. Um, people can't see us cause we're on a podcast right now, but I'm laughing because I think I know what teacher you're talking about for this, for the MFA program. Is it the very well-known teacher who has also blurbed your book? And, and is this, was this like Roxanne Gay that we're talking about? Yeah, she was one of them. Yeah, yeah. okay. Yeah. It's the reason I was laughing because I'm just imagining you as a writer in Roxane Gay's 
class. First off, like, I just want to ask about that experience in a second, but like the idea of showing Roxane Gay a piece of work and doing kind of what you said, you're like sort of skirting around the difficult parts. And I'm just thinking of like Roxane Gay as a writer being like, um, no, we're going to dive into those challenging things because that's where the good stuff mm-hmm. is. Like, I have to imagine showing Roxane Gay your work has to almost be a little bit intimidating at some point. Yeah, I think um, who Roxane is in the world and in her writing is very much who she is as well as a teacher, mm-hmm. you know, just very, you know, very honest and mm-hmm. very real. And that was really, really helpful to me as, yeah. a, as a writer, you know, Um but yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, it was always like, it's the Roxanne Gay. Um, yeah. Showing her work. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that was just one of those moments I was, when I was researching that I kind of started laughing. We had, a, um, a, two years ago, I interviewed um, Samantha Shannon, who's a uh, author in the UK and she writes fantasy. And she kind of like just dropped in, she was talking about a class and she's like, so yeah, when um, Ms. Atwood was telling me and I was like, hold on, are you saying that you were in a class with Margaret Atwood? And she's like, oh yeah, she was my professor. I was like, I feel like, <laughs> we should talk about that and I was just that's how I felt the same thing I was like oh Roxane Gay was her teacher I can't not ask about that <laughs> I want to take a quick break to talk about today's sponsor which is our friends from Fast Growing Trees uh, you know you might need to upgrade a few things around the house after being stuck inside for so long that, that makes sense Um, You know, now maybe you want to turn your yard into a paradise with fast-growing trees. You can skip the big box stores and head to fastgrowingtrees.com. It's the world's largest online nursery. Uh, You don't have to worry about waiting in lines or messy cars or digging through a lackluster selection. You just go to fastgrowingtrees.com and choose from thousands of varieties of trees, shrubs, plants, and they're all expertly curated. And the thing that I love about this website, this is so cool, is when you go on the website... You tell them your location, and then it specifically shows you the shrubs and plants and trees that are going to grow in your area. You know, I am horrible at growing things, Uh, and so anytime I would go to a nursery, it's really just a guessing game for me. I'm like, well, I don't know if these mums are going to grow or if this is going to work out, but I guess we'll find out. Uh, This way is perfect because not only do they show me the things that I know are going to thrive in my area, but they arrive with a well-developed root system just ready to explode with new growth, uh, you know. And it's just, I don't know, it's just such a fun process because you know that, like, oh, pretty soon I'm going to see flowers or I'm going to get to enjoy some of these lemons or whatever it is that you want to do. Uh, you have the ability to get these fantastic shrubs and plants for your home, for your yard. All of it is at fastgrowingtrees.com. Um Plus, they have a 30-day alive and thrive guarantee, which means that your plants are going to arrive happy and healthy and ready for planting, and you have no worries about uh, if you don't have the greenest thumb in the world like me. (laughs) Now, through June 30th, you can go to fastgrowingtrees.com slash PBN for 15% off. That's 15% off at fastgrowingtrees.com slash PBN. Fastgrowingtrees.com slash PBN. PBN. Those okay, so the the challenging aspects, you know, I I'm really interested in. There's these things that you talk about, like where you don't really learn about it until later on in the the novel. That parents and families like reasons for separation and reasons why families don't talk to each other and. 
you know, parents do things that we as children will never fully understand, like the sacrifices and the implications. And I'm, I'm being very vague right now because I don't want to give away the thing that I'm talking mm-hmm. about because it's a very mm-hmm. pivotal part of the book. But like, is that something that you've you've wrestled with? Because I feel like I've had a lot of conversations with my parents, especially over the past year where like we're getting emotional because we're only on Zoom and FaceTime. And they'll like tell me things that I may not have ever known otherwise. But like, ha- are those things that you've discovered in your own family, like these challenging aspects as you, you know, become and then are an adult that maybe you didn't realize at the time? When you're a child, you're sort of so self-absorbed in your, in your you know reality mm-hmm. that your parents are just parents you know um and I think I I remember just I think as I got older like realizing like there's this whole universe of a, mm-hmm. of a person who my mother is who has nothing to do with me you know mm-hmm. um or with her role as as a mother and yeah. so I think that's something that I really wanted to explore like the the book is centered around these mother-daughter relationships but Mm -hmm. I wanted all of these mothers to be you know to be a lot more than just mothers and to be like you know to feel like fully human being you know Mm -hmm. um and I think in in particular I think with you know there's so many tropes around like immigrant mothers you know the sort of trope of like the sacrificing suffering immigrant Mm -hmm. mother and certainly like you know some of these mothers suffer and sacrifice but Mm -hmm. they they're also all really different and some are kind of ambivalent about their motherhood or even Mm -hmm. question at times you know if they really want to be mothers or they're just you know dealing with so much of their own baggage um Mm -hmm. or processing so much of their own life that has nothing to do with their with their child um, Mm -hmm. that does come to like impact the relationship. And so that was really important for me to sort of writing against those tropes. Yeah. Did you find that challenging to write? Cause I feel like I'm, uh, I'm working on a thing right now and there are like aspects where I want to have it be from the parent's point of view. And I find myself like without having children and especially without having adult children, like it's hard to try and comprehend what they're going through. Like, did you find that, because it feels extremely natural the way that you have these characters conveyed I'm just curious like I mean obviously there's research and you know rounds and rounds of edits but did you find that challenging to put yourself in that voice yeah I think it it was challenging I'm also not a parent um Mm -hmm. but I think you know I have the perspective of of being a daughter of being (laughs) like a woman in the world um and you know, certainly, certainly that, that helps, but I think you're right. Like I, it is, it is challenging. And I think it comes, it also comes back to sort of the same stuff we were talking about before. Like sometimes I have to, you know, sort of remove my own kind of authorial judgment um, and accept these characters like for who they are and, or, you know, the actions that would be realistic to these characters not necessarily what I would want you know a mm-hmm. mother to be or to do um yeah yeah um you guys will probably hear uh, listeners will be familiar by now but one of my two dogs is very furious that someone had the audacity to walk by my house um <laughs> just you know the joys of being at home uh 
something else I'm, I'm a little bit curious about recently. Um, I had a conversation with Patricia Engel who wrote this book, infinite country that just came out uh, a couple weeks ago. And there's some similarities between your books, just in the sense that um, she had characters who were based in Colombia and then came to America and there was family on, uh, in both countries and people that were kind of going to and like, from one country to the other. And we had a really good conversation about um, diaspora and this like feeling of these characters who left Colombia and then never really feeling like they were a part of America or Colombia. And when she said that it was something that her family still felt, even as like first, second, third generation Colombian Americans, she never really felt truly like she belonged. And I'm, I'm curious, and I, I, I'm not trying to have you make a sweeping statement of all like Cuban Americans, because that's not my point, but like, did, has your family ever experienced that, especially in America, where to be frank, if you don't look like me, if you don't look like a white male, you know, people, it's like in their nature to be prejudiced, unfortunately. Like, have you, has your, has your family experienced those types of feelings of feeling like you don't belong one place or the other? And because I feel like you can see some of that in the book a little bit. I'm just curious. Yeah, I think, um, I think the experience can be really different. And I was sort mm -hmm. of interested too in kind of writing against ideas of like a Latinx monolith, you know? Yeah. And so like, for example, you know, Carmen in the book um, doesn't have that sort of nostalgic longing for yeah. Cuba. Like she's sort of like, I love that past. Like I don't yeah. even, you know, um, and, and has like a real drive to like assimilate and, you know, mm -hmm. um, and that's, you know, different from how some of the other characters think about um, the countries they left. And that's also, you know, there's also, you know, all the tensions between, um, you know, for example, Jeanette, who's a first generation mm -hmm. daughter of immigrants, um, and is sort of has these expectations of what Cuba will mean to her, or yeah. will, you know, will, will feel like, and then finds that that sort of bugs up against her actual um, experience in Cuba. I think for me, yeah, like my, I mean, I think my mother like never really wanted to immigrate. Like she mm -hmm. came here when she was a teenager um, because her parents immigrated to the US. And I think she, you know, longed to be in Cuba like most of most of her life. Yeah. Um, but that's certainly not the experience of like everyone. Mm -hmm. um, there are, you know, there are many Cuban Americans who feel you know, very much a part of, of U.S. Mm -hmm. culture. And I think, you know, I think the other thing that I really wanted to, to explore is the fact that, like, even within these communities, um, these immigrant communities or, you know, Latinx community in Miami yeah. or whatever the case is, like, all of these tensions exist, you mm -hmm. know, along racial lines, along class lines. Um, and, you know, the way that privilege functions within, within, mm -hmm. you know, even some of these like diasporic communities. Um, so does that yeah. kind of answer the question? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, no. And then I know that again, that I know that's like, it's a sweeping, I'm like asking you to speak for all Americans, which is not fair of me, but like you do, you have, you have there's a, a scene in the book that takes place 
on uh, Thanksgiving, which I thought was a nice little touch, by the way, um, where there are, there's conversations amongst like this family about like, I don't want to talk about Cuba. I don't want to like this. I don't want to talk about politics there and like, and all these different things. And it's just like, it really struck me as, you know, especially having like a lot of conversations recently, um, you know, about, you know, books that maybe are somewhat based in America, at least part of it but they're written by people who have long, who have felt kind of other. And it's just as a person who I was born and raised in America and I've spent, especially the last four years, like being openly disgusted about so much of what happens in our country. It's, it's a thing I'm like always curious about from people who have experienced, like you, you mentioned, you know, going back and forth to Cuba a lot as, and it's just something where, I don't know, I guess I'm always curious if everyone always feels like the grass is always greener someplace else, or if it's just, again, I, I'm fortunate to have these conversations, but again, it's just like for the past four years, it's just like been so eye-opening, like, wow, a lot of this country is pretty terrible and very gross and very close-minded. And so I don't know, it's, this isn't even really a question, just like more so <laughs> I'm like letting you see my brain soup, I suppose. Um, but yeah, I don't know. It's just something that I'm, I'm always curious about to like, yeah, I mean, I think I think I feel like I'm certainly like othered in a lot of spaces yeah. in which I occupy um, because of the, the way I look. But and also, I think you know I have um, certain privilege within within other spaces that yeah. I occupy. You know, because of my education, um, because of my light skin. You know, mm-hmm. so many so many ways that I sort of move through the world and I try to you know think about think about all of that in my writing you know even um being the daughter of a Cuban immigrant and a Mexican immigrant who um you know the just the history of immigration from Cuba Mm -hmm. from Mexico is really different the way they they're treated in the U.S. um and by these systems is so different and so I think all of that just made me really aware of those kinds of divisions and tensions Mm -hmm. that exist you know and those kinds of conversations that aren't had when we sort of think of any any group as monolithic yeah absolutely yeah there's it's almost like and again like I guess I have a lot of the books I'm reading lately are also like focused on this feeling of other I um, just finished um interior Chinatown by Charles Yu and it's uh this is part of the end of it where he basically says is like my family of Chinese Americans has been in this country 200 years. When do I get to call myself an American? It's just like a, you know, something I've been, this is like getting sidetracked in a little bit deep, so I apologize. I want to take one more quick break to talk about another sponsor for this particular episode, which is Tommy John. Listen, I have laughed at some of the the copy that they have given us for suggestions for these ads but i'm just gonna tell you straight up tommy john's is the most comfortable underwear i have ever worn the most comfortable t-shirt i have ever worn the most comfortable shorts i have ever worn and the most comfortable lounge pants i have ever worn full freaking stop they're incredible listen we're still all home you know whether you're quarantining during the pandemic or you're working from home or just spending a lot more time lounging around you want to be comfortable and this is the perfect way to do it tommy johns has everything again from underwear to loungewear uh, to t-shirts everything is just ludicrously comfortable like i can't stress enough 
this moisture wicking fabric and this extremely like stretchy but soft fabrics that they use good lord it's ridiculous they have this non-rolling waistband so you never feel like you're gonna like get pinched or anything it's just perfect i like I I know that I sound absurd right now, but I'm I'm serious. This is the most comfortable underwear, t-shirts, lounger, anything I've ever put on my body. I I was a little bit skeptical at first, and then when I put it on, I'm like, oh my god, I don't ever want to take this stuff off. Anytime I would do the laundry, literally the first thing I do is I put these clothes back on my body. Right now, you can get 20% off your first order if you go to tommyjohn.com slash pbn. That's 20% off your first order of underwear and loungewear at tommyjohn.com slash pbn. tommyjohn.com slash pbn. Curious. I, one other thing I want to ask about actually in the process of writing, like what did you have any specific research you were doing other than, you know, like going back and forth, obviously, and like getting to you know, remind yourself of all the amazing aspects of Cuba, but there's a lot of parts when you are, when the book is in Cuba, like you're talking about um, the government and the revolution and all sorts of things. Like, were there aspects for the book that you needed to do some kind of advanced research for yourself that just to like touch on a few things here and there? Cause there's a lot of stuff in here that I was like, Oh, wow. I didn't actually know this, but it was really interesting. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, in particular, um, the chapter set in the 19th century, I think, required the most research. Um, And actually, that chapter, the sort of seed for that chapter was a a visit that I did to Cuba, where I went to this museum exhibit that had these letters from Victor Hugo to independence Mm -hmm. fighters and workers in the 19th century. And I became so fascinated by that sort of interplay between literature and Um, political movements so all of the like source material in in that chapter like all of the letters the correspondence Mm. the things they were reading that's all like you know from real that's amazing stuff that was read to cigar workers um so yeah that I think that that piece required you know a lot of reading and a lot of archival work um yeah reading a little bit about the revolution although I feel like that chapter was was less centered on like the the actual you know intricacies yeah. of the of what was happening politically yeah um, there are there are other things going on in that chapter that yeah uh, are at the forefront again i'm being yeah. extremely vague because it's a very important chapter in the book yeah and in part i think it's because also i feel like there's so much that's been written or set that's fair. in that time period you know and i sort of um you know, it, that it's set during that time, but I felt like I, I just wanted to focus on a whole other thing mm-hmm. going on. Um, yeah. Yeah. So there was, there yeah. was the historical chapters, I think were the ones that sort of mm-hmm. maybe felt hardest to write and required the most. Um, I have to ask, do you have a top secret first uh, edition of Blame is somewhere a first printing or was that just kind of like conjured up for the I story? wish I would have like immediately sold it and moved it out you know <laughs> that's I exactly what like... I was thinking when they were talking about it. I was like all I want to know is how much this book is worth <laughs> oh man um okay so towards the end of our conversations we ask um nine sort of lighthearted questions that we call the nerd nine just because I like alliteration um so the first one is what is the last book you finished reading um 
the Copenhagen trilogy by mm-hmm. Toby Diplitson. Do you have a favorite place to read? On the grass by the lake that I live near. <laughs> uh, do you remember the book that sort of made you fall in love with reading when you were younger? Everything Babysitter's Club. <laughs> Co-host Jill is going to adore that answer. Um, <laughs> when we're allowed to travel again, which I feel like we're getting closer to, uh, what's one place you'd like to go to that you have not yet visited? New Zealand. Ooh, that's a good, that's, for, a, that's a big one. <laughs> yeah, I feel like for political reasons, because they seem to like have their shit together uh-huh. <laughs> right now. And also it just looks beautiful. Yeah. yeah. It's funny you'd say that I um, recently had this author, Elizabeth Knox, on share this book. The, it's called The Absolute Book, and it just came out earlier this year. She is in New Zealand. So, like, we were having a conversation. It was like eight o'clock at night for me, and it was, you know, whatever. It was a crazy time difference. But it was while we were still very much locked down and like they were just living their life. And I was like, tell me something that I'll get so jealous about. And she's like, well, I had a dinner party with 50 people and I was like seething. I was like, oh, I want to come to New Zealand. Yeah, they'll probably like never let me in, but I understand. (laughs) (laughs) Um, Do you have a favorite holiday to celebrate? Hmm. Um, I mean, it feels very basic, but I, I like Christmas just by great time, like presents and food. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. it's perfect. Um, <laughs> I, I'm thinking I know the answer to the next two, especially because of the book and what's on your lap right now. But first one is coffee or tea? Coffee, like yeah. really, really strong espresso. And then, yeah, and then uh, cats or dogs? Both. I have a cat yes, who's like do. the love of my life, but I, I don't, I don't believe in the in this like cat dog binary. I feel like <laughs> love both. Okay, for context. I have two dogs, which you now know. My co-host has four cats. And so we started as a joke and we have asked this question over five years to hundreds of authors and get, getting different answers. And we did separately. I did a book, a podcast episode about book recommendations for dog lovers. And she did one for cat lovers. And we've never gotten more like feedback than in those particular things. So we always have to ask- broad topic yeah Yeah, you're going in these controversial places yeah Mm -hmm. you did the right thing though you you (laughs) you skirted the line perfectly okay uh do you have a favorite food um maybe tacos Mm -hmm. and then if you could have dinner with one person alive or dead who would you pick oh my god I know I'm sorry I've literally never had someone not give me that type of a reaction but I'm too late in the game I have to keep asking (laughs) Maybe like maybe Toni Morrison and I would just not talk. I would just mm-hmm. I would just listen the whole time. Um, so and it's become a running joke every time I say this, but every time she comes up, I have to. I'm from Lorraine, Ohio, which is where Toni Morrison is from. It's like our one claim to fame. Mm-hmm. And it's like literally become like a drinking game on the podcast because I bring it up so often <laughs> that I am from Lorraine where Toni Morrison is from. But I I would bring that up too. Yeah, yeah. it's it's getting absurd. I need to stop doing it. Okay. Last question for you. What do you hope readers take away from Of Women and Salt? Um, I think maybe just thinking about um, all of the unseen forces that can shape someone's life. 
historical forces and others that, um, you know, sort of that, that the stories that we don't tell ourselves or that we don't know are, it can influence our lives as much as the, the stories and the mythologies that we are consciously aware of. It's absolutely perfect. Uh, Gabriella, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you so much. Readers can sample and borrow the titles mentioned in today's episode from Overdrive.com, and our library friends can purchase these titles in Marketplace. Professional Book Nerds is proud to be an Evergreen Podcast signature program. To learn about other Evergreen podcasts, visit evergreenpodcasts.com. Our podcast is produced, recorded, and edited by Adam Sokol and Jill Grunewald and presented by Overdrive. For more information, visit professionalbooknerds.com. So, you've got an idea for a business. The store of your dreams. There's just one thing to figure out. Everything. That's why Shopify's all-in-one commerce platform makes it easy to sell online, in person, and everywhere else. Sell on social media. Source products with an app to get that first sale feeling. It's the only solution that gives you everything you need to sell everywhere you want. So when you're ready to bring your idea to life, power it up with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash listen. 